Hey, before we start this episode, we wanted to tell you about our upcoming virtual 5K. Are you sick of being cooped up inside for the past year? How about getting outside and also doing something to support Israel and the Jewish people? Join us for our Bless Israel virtual 5K. We've put together a three-mile path that actually walks you through a route in Israel. You can walk or run at your own pace and in your own time. Join an international community of believers around the world committed to Israel. For more details, go to a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. chapters of this mysterious book of the Bible that I'll say is the only book of the Bible, by the way, that never mentions the name of God. Yeah. And yet, as we read it, we see God's fingerprints all over the story, his providence, his arranging the circumstances of kingdoms and rulers. It all points to God's intimate involvement in the preservation and the deliverance of the Jewish people, though his name never gets mentioned. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's role in the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. If you're listening to this podcast through your audio podcast app, we're also on YouTube this season, so please like and subscribe to us there if you want to watch us. Um, And if you've been listening to this podcast last season or earlier episodes this season, you'll have heard us say before that... Lots of Jewish people celebrate or observe holidays with a lot of food, and that's no different today. We're going to be talking about the Jewish holiday of Purim, um, and we are also doing a Purim taste test video, so if you want to watch that, watch that on our YouTube channel. We'll be taste testing Hamantaschen, which if you don't know what that is, keep listening. We'll talk about that today. But before we talk about Purim, uh, we just want to mention that there's a way for you to partner with us. Um, We reach Jewish communities all over the world, bringing them medical care and also the good news of Jesus. Um, So you can partner with us on our website at jewandagentiledisgust.org. And as a thank you for doing that, we will send you some of our Lost Tribes coffee, which comes directly from Ethiopia, um, where we've served those communities for over 20 years. Um, So go ahead and get that information if you're interested. Uh, And if you stay tuned to the end of this podcast, there's a chance for you to win that coffee for free. Um, So keep listening to hear about that. So let's discuss. Good. Well, Carly, before I jump in with my thoughts and opinions and the history on Purim, uh, P-U-R-I-M, by the way, for wondering, what word are they saying? Should I turn this off? I'm not sure what's going on here. Purim, the Jewish festival or feast of Purim. What do you know about it? Or let me say, before you got involved with uh, Jewish voice and Jewish ministry, what did you know about Purim? Yeah, I didn't know anything about Purim and probably never read the book of Esther, actually. Really? Or if I did, it was like, you know, when I was doing the Old Testament chronology thing and it was just in there. It's just another book. Right. Yeah. So some of you listening today may be relating and maybe that's why you tuned in. Others of you, if you live in like a major metropolitan area, especially New York or L.A., every year around late February or March, maybe you see a bunch of Jewish friends or colleagues all of a sudden dress up like it's Halloween and disappear into these strange rowdy parties and then maybe not come to work the next morning because they're feeling slightly hungover and you're wondering what's going on. Is this Jewish Mardi Gras? Is this Jewish Halloween? Halloween? Is it all of the above? Is it something else? 
what's this secretive Jewish feast? But it's not secretive at all, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today, Carly. Yeah, I think Jewish Mardi Gras is probably how I would have thought about it. This mm. is totally, you know, putting me in the millennial category here. But, you know, looking at my old Twitter feed, right. I probably would have seen like Purim, clicked, and seen, you know, the Mardi Gras type sure. imagery and thought, okay, that must just be, you know, like the Jewish Mardi Gras. Yeah. And then yeah, left the Jewish it there. community has to have a Mardi Gras. <laughs> and in some ways it is. Um, you know, the, you eat and you drink and you make merry. Why? We're going to talk about that in a moment, but yeah. I'm keeping you all in suspense. Some rabbis say on Purim, if you really celebrate the feast well, this is absolutely not biblical, but anyway, rabbinical tradition. I'll share yeah. it with our, our listeners. If you celebrate well, you should be so inebriated by the end of Purim that you can't tell the difference between Esther and Haman. Uh, you know, between a beautiful queen of Persia and uh, a megalomaniac uh, committed to the annihilation of the Jewish people. So anyway, we're not going to go farther down that road before more of our listeners turn the turn the programming off. Some are like, ooh, I want to celebrate. Anyway, we'll yeah. leave that alone for today. But yeah. uh, all of those things are happening, Carly. It is a time of celebration. It's time of rejoicing and making merry. Some people dress up like Bible characters in the book of Esther. But why? What the heck's going on? What is this all about anyway? Beyond the partying... We have to remember the message, right? I'm thinking in the Christian world. What's Christmas about? Well, it's about Santa Claus, and it's about presents, and it's right. about lots of things with bright red, you know, red 40 industrial food coloring icing, and it's about candy canes. Okay, but what it's, what's it really about, yeah. right? Beyond all the tradition surrounding it. So I think we have to ask the same question with the Jewish holiday of Purim is what what's really going on here, and what was the origin of the celebration? Yeah, that's a good way to think about it compared to Christmas, because you could show any Christian, you know, some of the different things, the Santa hat, the whatever, and they would know it was Christmas. Right. For those of you listening, you can't see this, but on the table in front of us is this, uh, it's called a grogger. Right, but a noisemaker. Yes, it's uh, like a rattle, and it makes noise. If a Jewish person saw this, they would probably immediately think, Porn, of course, because right? it's the only day of the year when you get this thing out. And get to be as loud maker. and yeah. annoying as we, possible. If, if, yes. you, if you are driving down the road and uh, aren't watching us, don't careen off the highway when you hear the noise, but yeah. we'll do it for you. This yeah. is a grogger. And uh, why are we making noise? What are we drowning out? More on that in a moment. Yeah. Actually, you know, when I was working, uh, when I first started working at Jewish Voice, we often would do plays on Purim. And right. So that's really how I learned about, you know, the story of Esther and using the grogger. Sure. Um, and so that was really my introduction into it, though I was like, wow, this I have no idea what's happening. You right. Know, everyone's it, shouting and doing things sure. accordingly. Saying, ooh, when they hear Esther right. and doing the grogger, drowning out the name of Haman, but what's really going on? Right. And I appreciate what you said about the play, because the whole idea with Purim, actually, in a way, Carly, with many Jewish holidays, is that you're telling the story to your children, because mm. you're passing on the history of our people, not just the traditions, but the actual historical biblical history of God's involvement in the history and the destiny yeah. and the preservation and protection and deliverance of the Jewish people yeah. uh, uh, with your children so that they can tell their children and on and on it goes. This yeah. is so much a part of, of the Jewish faith and Jewish identity, whether you're religious or not, is the idea that you're passing on this identity, this rich heritage, this history yeah. to your children, and, and then they pass it on to their children and on and on it goes. So the telling of the story you know, some of you may have heard the expression, the whole Megillah, right? If you're from other parts of the country, you say the whole enchilada, but it's the same idea. I'm going to give you the whole Megillah yeah. or, you know, spare me the whole Megillah. 
especially if you're from New York, I can almost guarantee you've heard this if you're in the metro uh, New York area. Uh, but what does that mean? And it's actually related to doing things like a Purim play mm. because Megillah, Megillah in Hebrew literally means scroll. And the, you don't say the book of Esther in Hebrew. You know, there's books of the Bible, but you actually say the scroll of Esther, Megillat Esther. Mm. And so the whole Megillah is, is actually a, a, something that's become very familiar in, you know, American Jewish langu- language or, you know, even American English, but it comes from the telling of the story of Esther. So when you say the whole Megillah, you're saying originally the whole scroll of Esther. And in fact, in most Jewish communities, even though people are in costumes dressed up like biblical characters or, you know, whatever they're going to dress up as, uh, gathered together to celebrate Purim and have a, you know, have a Purim party, what is generally happening, other than eating these cookies we'll talk about, as the most common Purim tradition is sitting down at some point that evening and reading the, the Megillah, reading the whole Megillat Esther, reading the whole scroll of Esther, all the chapters of this mysterious book of the Bible that I'll say is the only book of the Bible, by the way, that never mentions the name of God. Yeah. And yet, as we read it, we see God's fingerprints all over the story, mm-hmm. his providence, his arranging the circumstances of kingdoms and rulers and the people those rulers invite to rule with them, like Queen Esther, and just all the details, people being woken up in the night, prompted to read something that they had forgotten about years before, uh, the irony and the twists of fate and the humor, it all points to God's intimate involvement in the preservation and the deliverance of the Jewish people, though his name never gets mentioned. Mm-hmm. So Purim is, it's like a, a remembering of the book of Esther. Yeah. And so the Jewish people are, like you said, reading it, going through it. Sure. Often, sometimes there are plays, you know, we mentioned the Grogger. So yeah. there's kind of three main characters, would you say? Yeah, there's Esther, there's Haman, there's Mordecai. And of course, yeah. there's the the leader of the land. And really, we can say at that time, Carly, the leader of the known world, the mm-hmm. king of Persia, uh, Ahasuerus, which is also Xerxes. We believe four it's the same. Four yeah. characters, yeah. the same person. So four characters. And before we go farther, people may be saying, wait a minute, Purim, first of all, that's a weird word and slightly awkward in English, but it's the same in Hebrew, Purim. And Pur, P-U-R, or I'll say it with my, you know, the Israeli accent I'm inheriting from my wife as the years go on, Pur, P-U-R, what is that? What does the name of the holiday mean? And a Pur is is a lot. Almost think of a, a die like you're rolling dice in Las yeah. Vegas. Mm-hmm. So a Pur is a lot, or a, or a die that's cast into the lap. And Purim just means lots. And it comes from this part of the book of Esther where... Haman, I really encourage you, read the book of Esther. It's not long, but we're not going to get through all of it in our short podcast episode today. But Haman agrees with the king to, to, in essence, create an edict, create a law throughout Persia and the whole known world, because the kingdom of Persia at that time extended throughout most of the known world, Mm -hmm. from Central Asia all the way down to Ethiopia and beyond and into the Mediterranean. He's creating this law that says the Jewish people are to be destroyed. But what date should we destroy them on? And it says Haman, Haman in Hebrew, cast lots, or he threw Purim, on the ground, on the table, we don't know. And whatever those lots, those Purim said, was the date that would go into the law as the date of destruction of the Jewish people. And we know as we read the rest of the book that 
shortly before that day arrives through a series of events, I'll call them miraculous events, though again, God's name isn't mentioned, uh, there's, there's an uncovering of this plot, and Esther's able to say, O king, live forever. You've signed a law that promises the death of my people. I'm your queen, and yet what you don't realize is under the law you signed, me and everybody I love and everybody they love have to be annihilated uh, by order of yourself. And, you know, how did this happen? Who made me to do this? And it's exposed eventually that Haman was part of this diabolical plot to annihilate the Jewish people. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Haman, initiate Grogger at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so back to the Grogger, in, in the reading of the Megillah, in the reading of the Scroll of Esther, at any good self-respecting Purim party, everybody in the room's going to have a Grogger. And whenever you hear the name uh, Esther, you go, ah, why? Because of the beauty of Queen Esther. She goes through this year and change of beautification treatments before she becomes queen. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Haman shows up on the scene later in the story. And because he's really the, the villain of the story and this one who's responsible for the plot to annihilate the Jewish people, out of envy and, and resentment of, what, of the credit that Mordecai got in the eyes of the king, frankly. So out of envy and resentment of a Jewish man, Haman plots to annihilate the Jewish people, and because he's such a villain, we actually blot out his name with none other than the Grogger. So whenever you hear Haman at a Purim party, whenever it's read in the reading of the Book of Esther, everybody goes, boo! And you make this, I'm not doing it very well here. That's why I, that's why I never played baseball, but <laughs> I used to be able to do it when I was a kid. So you hear Haman, Haman, boo! And you drown out you drown out his name. And that's actually a really ancient Jewish tradition where when somebody's cursed, I mean, hopefully you're not cursing a lot of people, but if you want or feel that you need to curse someone, you say, may their name be blotted out. Mm. May it not even be heard. Or may it, in a much more extreme way, may their name be blotted out from the book of life of, and, of God the judge. And isn't there cheering then also during the play? There is. You cheer when you hear the name Mordecai. Yeah. Esther's the beautiful... Uh, uh, heroine of the story, and Mordecai is the hero, though he's behind the scenes, he's the one who recognizes, wait a minute, in the providence of God, my, uh, you know, a, 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 a family member of mine, namely Esther, Hadassah in Hebrew, some people who have been to Israel know the most famous and the largest hospital in Israel is Hadassah Hospital, just outside Jerusalem. So Hadassah, Esther, has been, and we know the year, Carly, was 478 B.C., Esther becomes queen after Vashti disrespects the king and is deposed of the queenly throne. And anyway, read the story. You can get the details. Esther becomes queen, and then four years later, Haman, out of resentment, agrees with the king to, to plot to annihilate the Jewish people, not just to plot, but to sign it into law with the date. And Mordecai is a hero because he goes, wait a minute, in the providence of God, this is me paraphrasing because God's name is not mentioned, my family member, Esther, has been appointed to the second highest role in the land, the queen of the king of all the kingdoms of the earth, as a Jewish woman who hasn't necessarily been open about her Jewish identity in this Persian palace. Remember, at this time, the Jewish people have partially returned to Israel, but those still living in Shushan and the Persian Empire are still captives. They're still exiles. They don't even have the opportunity to go back to Israel till some years later. So Jewish identity is a little bit of a tricky thing because the Jews are known as the captives of Judah who were taken away by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Not necessarily a great thing to be a Jew during this time. But Esther nonetheless is, and Mordecai recognizes 
who knows, he says, this is the famous line that we all know, but we don't know it comes from the book of Esther. Who knows, Esther, but that you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Which a ton of people say, but we probably don't it know it's time. from Esther. We quote it all yeah. the time for however we want to use it, but yeah. it's actually part of the story of Purim. Yeah. And the idea is, Esther, you might lose your life. You might be killed if the king is not favorable to your plea to preserve and protect the Jewish people. But even if that may happen in the face of persecution, perhaps you've been afforded the influence and the authority and the position as a Jewish woman to bring deliverance for the Jewish people for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. And Mordecai also says, look, Esther, if you're not willing, God will bring about deliverance for our people in another way. But consider the possibility, who knows, but that you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting thing there. I think we quote that verse a lot, right? God can find somebody else, but he wants to use me. But the original context was a Jewish woman being appointed to a position in God's providence to bring about salvation and deliverance for the Jewish people in the face of, uh, of signed into law annihilation proclaimed throughout the known world. And another Jewish person calling, calling Esther to the carpet and saying, look, recognize the role you have. Are you going to do something about it or are you not? Mm -hmm. So that's really, you know, beyond all the parties, beyond the celebrations, beyond the grogger and the booing and the, you know, the hissing and, and the eyeing and the cheering, that's really the nature of the story, Carly, is intended annihilation, deliverance through God arranging the chessboard of circumstances yeah. uh, for the Jewish people and their neighbors. Yeah. And it's also interesting to think that Esther was like a teenager. Right. She was 14 years old, give or take, marrying a 41-year-old king. Mm -hmm. You know, and this it's funny because in the modern Jewish world, there's a lot of like deconstructionist thought happening, especially in the what's called in America the reform Jewish community that says we're absolutely about the Jewish identity and Jewish religion, Jewish community, but who can say for sure whether the Torah is really the inspired word of God or just a storybook about our people? Who can say for sure whether God exists and what he's really like and what he's happy with and not? And so there's this new idea emerging, you know, kind of in a, in a, in a women's rights vein, which isn't bad, that says, oh, you know, Vashti, you know, Vashti should have been promoted for her standing up to the king and not wanting to parade half naked through a party. She shouldn't have been deposed. This is, you know, a, per, uh, a violation of women's rights. And then Esther comes in and she's basically a girl and this is a terrible story. While those things may be worth considering, let's zoom out a little and, and consider the cultural context and, and in a way recognize the courage, right, that, right. that this teenager recognizes her opportunity to be promoted to a significant position as a Jewish young woman, and she takes it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the king has favor upon her, and I'll say in the providence of God, he, he arranged it so that she would, be, she would be favored and she would be promoted to this queenly position. Mm -hmm. And so the way that um, Purim is observed today, yeah. they, they read the story, and then, you know, like we said, you know, there's some food involved, either right. fasting food of or food or <laughs> feasting of food. Sure. So how is that celebrated? Yeah, super good question. And let's talk about the fast, because we didn't talk about that yet. Right before this big feast, uh, Chag is feast in Hebrew, so Chag Purim. Uh, and a lot of people say, is Purim a biblically commanded holiday? Yes and no. At the end of the book of Esther... Word went out, in essence, a commandment went out that Jewish people, wherever they were in the known world, in Persia, in Israel, in Ethiopia, wherever they were, were to celebrate and to send gifts to one another and to make merry because there had been great deliverance for the Jewish people right before a time of, of, of pending uh, destruction. Uh, so there, there's 
a biblical precedent to celebrate Purim. Now, is it the same as what we see in Leviticus and Exodus, where God's saying, like, for Passover on this day in this month, you're to celebrate this? No. God didn't say you're to celebrate Purim forever. Same with Hanukkah. But we see it referred to in the biblical account, and we understand the why and, you know, the date we're celebrating on and the why that we're celebrating it. So there's this big feast, but... Uh, back to where I started, why is there a fast before a feast? Because this great deliverance came at the very end of a time of expected annihilation and destruction. So the day before Chag Purim, the Feast of Purim on the Jewish calendar, is what's called Tzom Esther. Tzom in Hebrew is fast, and it's called the Fast of Esther. If you remember, Esther fasted food and water for a period of days, like days on end, before she goes into the king and pleads for the, for the deliverance of the Jewish people. Why? Because she was entreating the favor of the Lord. To go into the king uninvited was to risk death. It's all in the book. If he didn't extend his scepter towards her, she would have been carried away and herself annihilated, and she knew, like, this is our chance as a people. If I'm killed because the king doesn't like that I came in to see him, the Jewish people are all going to be killed. My friends, my kinsmen, my family members will be annihilated as well. And so the Psalm Esther on the Jewish calendar, which some people observe, a lot more observe the partying and the drinking and the you know enjoyment, but some people do observe the fast of Esther, and it's to, in essence, engage with a feeling of desperation for pending destruction of the Jewish people. Only for Purim, you know, 2,500 years ago? No. I think we can look in throughout history, Carly. We talk about this in other podcast episodes. Purim is almost like, like, a, like a prototype for what ends up being a repeating pattern of right before there's great deliverance for Jewish people, there's intended annihilation. Right before uh, the fullness of time came so that the state of Israel could be birthed, the Holocaust happened right. because the enemy was threatened by what God wanted to do with the Jewish people. Here, right before all these Jewish people are returned, according to what Jeremiah promised, God promised through Jeremiah, 70 years are up, Jewish people return to the land of Israel. The enemy is threatened by that because he doesn't want God to be worshipped and he doesn't want Jewish people to be worshipping him. So again, works through uh, government leaders, namely Haman, to try to annihilate the Jewish people. The Spanish Inquisition, the Russian pogroms, we, the pogroms, we see this happen over and over throughout history. And so the, the fast of Esther on the Jewish calendar remembers not only intended annihilation and deliverance uh, historically, but it also is a way to, for us to engage with God and say, we see in the scriptures, and I'll say in the New Testament scriptures, even in a day to come, uh, it's not good for the Jewish people before Jesus returns. And so we're fasting to say, Lord, in the face of intended annihilation, uh, would you deliver us again? You've been faithful to deliver us. Would you do it again? So fasting to feasting. So is the fast 24 hours? Yeah, it's about 24 hours. Okay, like sundown to sundown. Yeah, yeah. And some people maybe will do three full days, like in the story of Esther. But yeah, generally it's one day of fasting. Uh, Ultra-religious may also fast food and water. The only other time on the calendar that that happens is usually the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So it's a very solemn experience, knowing that a celebration's coming, but engaging in the difficulty of continual intended annihilation of the Jewish people. So then when I think of the the feast or the food, I think of these cookies that I've heard Uh two things. One, they're the shape of Haman's ears or perhaps the shape of Haman's hat. They're triangles. Right. Um, different flavors. That's the hamantaschen. Right. Hamantaschen. So that sounds like kind of a fancy, almost like Germanic Slavic word, right? So where did it come from? Well, the idea of making cookies shaped like 
uh, Haman's ear. It later became hat, but uh, Haman's ear. And in Hebrew, you say Ozne Haman. Ozne is is the ears of Haman. Okay. Uh, so a uh, uh, cookie shaped like a triangle in the shape of an ear. Well, where did that come from? Haman was hung, you know, hanged in a in a public square. Why the ears? Well, when the tradition developed, it was in Roman culture where you would typically cut off someone's ears either right before or right after executing them. Why? I don't know. Maybe it was like a shame thing, right? We remember in the gospel accounts, Peter cuts off the ear of a soldier and Jesus heals it, which is a pretty incredible story we'll talk about another time. But the idea of this shaming one who should be or who will be executed by cutting off his ears. So Ozne Haman probably comes from a Roman culture interpreting Jewish history, a, a, man, a Jewish man living in the Roman Empire, interpreting Jewish history going, okay, well, let's talk about the execution of Haman as cutting off his ears. So enter Ozne Haman. Now, what about Haman Tashin? How do we get the Tashin part? Interestingly, like you said, the cookies can be made out of jelly, they can be made out of, you know, icing, they can be made out of poppy. Originally, poppy, the word for poppy was montashin. Uh -huh. So, ozne haman, made out of montashin, hamantashin, hamantashin. And there's your Jeopardy answer for the day. <laughs> what are hamantashin, Alex? That's my, anyway, I'm dating myself. We used to watch Jeopardy. But that's the, that's the cookie, and it's to remember that not only did God save the Jewish people, he wiped out the enemy of the Jewish people. Got it. So it's like a big party, though. I mean, the totally. hamantaschen is there, but you it's totally a lot go of... into a pre-diabetic coma with the yes. hamantaschen. Yeah. You eat, drink, and be merry. You drink whatever you're going to drink, depending on your tradition and how much or little you want to remember Purim <laughs> the next day, and and you make merry. But all of it's a celebration of once again God delivered and preserved the Jewish people from certain destruction. And for those Christians listening, is yeah. this something that they are invited to participate in? I think, yeah. Obligation, no. We say yeah. this a lot. Invitation, sure. I think totally, if you want to go to a Purim party and you know a Jewish friend or family member, invite yourself, or maybe they'll invite you. Or, you know, you can just be passive-aggressive and say, hey, I saw your Purim pictures last year. They popped up on my memories. How was that party? Looked fun. And try to get yourself invited, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say it's a fun time. And... You know, God promises to, to preserve and protect and to care tenderly for all who call upon his name, Jew and Gentile alike. But, uh, you know, in terms of developing a relationship and a meaningful connection with a Jewish friend or colleague or even extended family member, Purim's a great on-ramp because it's light. I mean, yeah. it's about a story about destruction and deliverance, right. but the celebration itself is light. Yeah. It's maybe easier to kind of engage with the Jewish community around a Purim celebration than it would be around, you know, like Yom Kippur, which right. is a very solemn day where people are generally maybe keeping to themselves and in the synagogues more. Yeah, good. Well, that's a great explanation of the holiday, and um, our audience can read the Book of Esther, learn sure. more about it. Um, actually, last season we did another episode on Purim, so if you missed that, we go into a lot more detail specifically about the story. Right. Um, and as I mentioned, we're going to do a Hamantaschen taste test video, so that should be up, and you can go to our YouTube video to watch that. So far, I've lost both of our taste test videos, uh, coffee and uh, Christmas and Hanukkah, so hopefully I can redeem myself. We'll see what happens. Here. We'll see what happens. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, uh, you can enter to win a chance uh, to get a bag of our Lost Tribes coffee for free. So you can do that by texting JG to 474747. Um, there's more information on our website, ajewandagentiledisgust.org. If you want to hear more of our episodes, uh, watch us on YouTube, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
leave us a review ask any questions that you have we want to continue engaging with you um, on social media you can also submit questions on our website and thanks so much again for listening this week and join us next week for another episode the show is a production of jewish voice ministries international